therapy, cryotherapy, cold adapted showers. Is something as simple as these treatments able to have such a profound impact on levels of oxidative stress, inflammation, and mood in depression and anxiety? Well, make sure to tune in to find out only here on the People Scientist Podcast. Listening to the People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on nutrition, health, and medicine. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast, where every week I arm you with some scientific evidence so that we can all lead the healthy lives we want to live. I hope everyone's week has been going really well. I had a great time at the Society for Neuroscience Conference this past week. I had the opportunity to present our research on female alcohol use disorder. I hope one day soon to do a podcast episode on this topic. But briefly, I'll give you a little insight into it. I've generated some evidence to show that the female and male brains are quite different. For example, there are differences in gene expression, differences in the activity of certain brain regions, and differences in the strength of connections between certain brain regions in the male and females. This seems to have important implications for anxiety and alcohol use disorder. But for today's episode, episode 33, I'm going to be teaching you all about the scientific evidence on cold therapy or cryotherapy. So as we always do, let's start off with some core takeaways. Cold therapy or cryotherapy has actually been around for quite a while because I'm including cold therapy such as ice treatment on injuries, ice baths, and switching from cold and warm showers or baths, or even more recently what has gained a lot of popularity is whole body cryotherapy machines that expose individuals to freezing cold air that in these studies ranged from minus 60 degrees Celsius to minus 160 degrees Celsius. And this exposure, exposure usually lasts 30 seconds to 2 to 5 minutes long. Clinical trials provide evidence that cryotherapy or cold therapy may improve muscle recovery after intense exercise. It may reduce markers of oxidative stress and inflammation and may improve symptoms of depression and anxiety. So let's get into those details. Let's start off by looking at cryotherapy in athletes and its impact on recovering post-exercise. In 2009, Banfi and colleagues in the Journal of Thermal Biology investigated the effects of whole-body cryotherapy on markers of inflammation and serum muscle enzymes in athletes. In sports medicine, whole-body cryotherapy is generally used to improve recovery from muscle injury. So they investigated in 10 male athletes from the Italian rugby teams five days of whole-body cryotherapy. Now, during this week, the athletes still continued their typical training schedule of one hour of maximal effort in the morning, followed by one hour of submaximal effort. 
And then they would have another hour of maximal effort training in the afternoon. So they had three hours of exercise every day. Blood samples were drawn by vacutainer tubes at 8 a.m. on the first day of treatment on Monday, and then at the end of the treatments on the following Monday, so one week later. The scientists investigated the blood samples for markers of inflammation. Now, the scientists saw a reduction in creatinine kinase, lactate dehydrogenase, prostaglandin E2, interleukin 2, interleukin 8, interleukin 10, cycam 1, which is soluble intercellular adhesion molecule 1, but there were no reductions in the immunoglobulins or C-reactive protein. So it appears that there are some markers of inflammation that are reduced with the addition of whole body cryotherapy to intense training exercise. However, it is important to note that this study did not have a control group, so they were really just comparing their before and after treatment protocols. But there are other studies to look at. For example, in 2013, Mila Korzynkowska in the journal Oxidative Medicine and Cellular Longevity examined the effects of cryotherapy on oxidative stress in volleyball athletes. 18 male volleyball players with the average age of 28 provided blood samples before and after a cryotherapy session and workout routine. And as a control, they provided blood samples prior to and after an exercise regimen without whole body cryotherapy. So they had like a within control study. It appears that if doing a whole body cryotherapy session before a workout routine, that it prevents the increase in exercise mediated oxidative stress. So let me break that down. Exercise is good for us, yes, but as part of exercise, a small amount of oxidative stress typically occurs. And this is what the scientists observed, that without the whole body cryotherapy session, there was a significant increase in oxidative stress following exercise. But if the athletes added a whole body cryotherapy session prior to exercising, it prevented that increase in oxidative stress from the exercise. They report this because they saw higher levels of interleukin-1-beta, interleukin-6, and catalase in the exercise-only blood samples versus baseline and versus the whole-body cryotherapy samples. In the European Journal of Applied Physiology in 2013, Crystal and colleagues aimed to see if cryotherapy could reduce the inflammation and enhance muscle recovery from intense exercise. The study asked 20 recreationally active men to run for 40 minutes on a 10% inclined treadmill. The control group had no special after-recovery treatment. The cryotherapy group in this study underwent submersion in an ice bath that was 5 degrees Celsius for 20 minutes after the run. The scientists assessed the participants' movement, soreness rating, thigh size, and blood levels of an inflammatory marker called CCL2 before and several times after the run and treatment in the ice bath and control groups. Overall, what the scientists found was that a 20-minute ice bath after intense running did not effectively reduce soreness, it did not effectively reduce loss of muscle strength or measures of inflammation, which in this scenario was a blood test for CCL2. So it's possible then that an ice bath may not be as effective as whole body cryotherapy if you compare these clinical trials. 
Now, because cryotherapy may help reduce some oxidative stress in athletes, scientists wanted to see if cryotherapy could help chronic conditions that are plagued by high levels of oxidative stress and inflammation. For example, to study if cryotherapy could help with arthritis. Guyot in 2014 in the journal Expert Review of Clinical Immunology had reviewed several studies that looked at the effects of cryotherapy on rheumatoid arthritis. The authors pooled together six different clinical studies that included 257 patients with rheumatoid arthritis. The intervention sometimes included whole body cryotherapy for three to five minutes with cold air for each session. Other interventions included ice packs or cold towels that were applied to inflamed joints. The scientists overall reported a significant decrease in pain scores and a significant decrease in the 28-joint disease activity score test after chronic cryotherapy in rheumatoid arthritis patients. Now, they also looked at some molecular mechanisms behind this, and they investigated that local cryotherapy did induce intra-joint temperature decrease, which might downregulate several mediators involved in joint inflammation and destruction, for example, such as reducing cytokines, cartilage-degrading enzymes, and pro-angiogenic factors. So the authors conclude that regular cryotherapy could be added to standard of care for patients with rheumatoid arthritis in the hopes of reducing symptoms and pain management based on the several clinical trials published to date. Wojcicka Lukasik in 2010 in the journal Inflammation Research aimed to investigate the effects of different physiotherapies in cryotherapy on biochemical blood parameters of patients with rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis. Now, 20 patients with rheumatoid arthritis and 17 patients with osteoarthritis received whole-body cryotherapy at minus 140 to minus 160 degrees Celsius for two to three minutes, once daily for four weeks. The second group of patients that included 24 patients with rheumatoid arthritis and 28 with osteoarthritis received conventional physiotherapy for four weeks, which served as the control group. Now, the scientists took assessments of inflammation and cartilage metabolism before the treatment started and three months following the treatment, which was kind of interesting. I was surprised that they didn't take an assessment at the four-week mark after four weeks of treatment. So there was a time gap of three months in between the last cryotherapy or physiotherapy session and the follow-up blood test assessment, which I, again, I find a little bit weird. Um, You would think that the scientists would have assessed right before initiation of the test, then at the four-week mark, and then at the three-month mark to see if there were any long-lasting changes. But nevertheless, let's look at some of the results. The scientists concluded that the cryotherapy significantly reduced histamine levels in the blood of patients with rheumatoid arthritis. At baseline, their histamine levels were were on average 123 nanograms per milliliter, and after four weeks of cryotherapy, histamine levels were 46 nanograms per milliliter, so a reduction by over 60%. But in contrast, in the control physiotherapy group, their histamine levels improved less. They improved from 113 to 88 nanograms per milliliter, so about 22% reduction, which is only about one-third of the improvement seen as compared to cryotherapy. However, a marker of white blood cell activity, calprotectin, increased in both groups slightly, but this was not significant. So I think it is kind of difficult to interpret too much from this study, as a second assessment right after the cryotherapy sessions would have been ideal, 
and only one parameter seemed to improve, and that is histamine levels. And we do know that histamine plays an important role in inflammation and oxidative stress. But they also did not assess any measures of pain or mobility in the patients, which also would have been ideal as this is the main symptom to consider in rheumatoid arthritis. I think from this study, we can just say that perhaps a reduction in histamines in the blood may happen as a result of cryotherapy. Now, because cryotherapy has proven interesting for potentially modulating oxidative stress and inflammation, scientists wanted to see if there was any impact on mood in those with depression and anxiety. Now, if you haven't heard episode 25 yet, it's called Let's Talk Depression and Inflammation. And I encourage you to listen to it if you haven't yet, because it will help you understand a potential mechanism by which cryotherapy could have a beneficial impact on mental health. But very briefly, high levels of inflammation do seem to predispose individuals to depressive-like symptoms. So let's get into the few clinical trials that have looked at the impact of cryotherapy on mood. So Ramaswazka in 2003 in the journal Acta Neuropsychiatrica conducted a small pilot study in 23 men and women to see if whole-body cryotherapy could improve measures of depression in patients living with depression. The participants underwent 10 whole-body cryotherapy treatments that lasted for 3 minutes at minus 150 degrees Celsius within 2 weeks. Their antidepressive medications were maintained throughout this treatment period. Symptoms were rated at the beginning and end of this intervention using the 21-item Hamilton Depression Rating Scale. All 23 participants noted that their symptoms of depression improved after the 10 days of cryotherapy treatment. Specific symptoms of depression were seen to reduce in severity by 24 to 100%, so quite substantial. The symptoms that improved most were anxiety and motor hyperactivity, difficulties in falling asleep, quality of sleep, and early awakening. So there really seems to be mostly an improvement in sleep-related symptoms associated with depression. It therefore appears that cryotherapy had a very positive influence on those sleep disturbances, but it is important to note that this study did not have a control group, and therefore a placebo effect could certainly have contributed. But as a pilot study, it proved quite interesting that a simple short treatment such as cryotherapy could potentially have such profound influences on mood. But luckily, five years later in 2008, Ramaswaska followed this pilot study with a larger controlled study. The scientists published this work in Archives of Psychiatry and Psychotherapy, and they had again aimed to investigate if whole body cryotherapy could modulate symptoms of inflammation and depression. The scientists this time recruited more participants. They recruited 60 participants that were previously diagnosed with anxiety and depressive disorders. The average participant was a woman in her 40s. All participants received standard outpatient psychopharmacotherapy, but one group went through daily whole-body cryotherapy for 2-3 to minutes a day at minus 110 to minus 160 degrees Celsius a day for 15 days and the other group received the standard therapy. The Hamilton Depression Rating Scale and Hamilton Anxiety Rating Scale were used to evaluate the severity of their symptoms before and after the whole body cryotherapy, after the three weeks. The Self-Rating Life Satisfaction Scale was also used. So the participants would scale the severity of their symptoms in this study. 
In this small clinical trial, improvements were noted in many of the symptoms of depression and anxiety, such as improvements in feelings of tension, agitation, feelings of guilt, reduced thoughts of suicide, and overall improvements in mental health and social and family relationships. The mechanism of how the whole-body cryotherapy worked was not investigated in this study, but the authors speculate that the effects are due to acting on a stress brain circuit called the hypothalamic-pituitary axis, or the HPA. They also speculate that whole-body cryotherapy may release endogenous opioids that make us feel relaxed and help reduce pain. So just, again, with a follow-up study with more participants and a control group this time, it does appear that whole-body cryotherapy regular sessions could make some improvements in mood. Miller and colleagues in 2010 followed up this study by publishing a clinical trial in the World Journal of Biological Psychiatry. They investigated the effects of whole-body cryotherapy on measures of oxidative stress and antioxidant potential in patients living with multiple sclerosis with and without diagnosed depression. 22 men and women living with multiple sclerosis, of which 12 were diagnosed with depression and 10 were not, and also 20 healthy controls participated in the study. The participants underwent 10 sessions of whole-body cryotherapy that lasted 2-3 to three minutes each at negative 110 to negative 160 degrees Celsius. Now, their samples of blood were taken one hour before the first day and after the 10-day cycle of whole-body cryotherapy, one hour after the last session. And scientists noted that patients living with multiple sclerosis had higher levels of oxidative stress than the healthy control group, which was not surprising, and that the multiple sclerosis patients living with depression had lower antioxidant status in their blood versus the multiple sclerosis patients without depression. So again, this further supports the fact that infl inflammation may be very well implicated in mood disorders such as depression. But very interestingly, whole body cryotherapy treatment increased the total antioxidant potential of the blood samples in all of the multiple sclerosis patients, but more so it improved the antioxidant potential in those living with depression. However, the activity of the endogenous antioxidant systems such as superoxide dismutase and catalase, those natural antioxidant body antioxidants in our body, did not change with cryotherapy. So the scientists here provided evidence that the reason why cryotherapy could potentially enhance mood in those living with depression is because it enhances the antioxidant potential and therefore would reduce the oxidative stress and inflammation in those living with higher inflammation levels. The authors speculate that whole body cryotherapy could help regulate that hypothalamic pituitary axis that I mentioned earlier, that stress circuit in the body. It could increase beta endorphin levels. It could normalize hippocampal brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It could potentially regulate monoamines and improve perceptions of self-efficacy. Now, these are all speculations, but whole-body cryotherapy has never been directly tested to see if it works through this mechanism. I think the most likely mechanism, the only one that is supported with evidence, is that it can enhance antioxidant potential and reduce oxidative stress. And besides whole body cryotherapy, there's also the concept of adapted cold showers. Shevchuk in 2008 describes in the journal Medical Hypothesis the potential of adaptive cold showers as an additional therapy to helping enhance mood in those living with depression or anxiety. 
The protocol included that once or twice a day, a cold shower of 20 degrees Celsius was undergone for two to three minutes, followed by five minutes of slowly, gradually increasing the temperature to comfortability. Shevchuk states that the theory is that the cold water is a physiological stress that increases the release of endorphins into our system. Adapted cold shower can act like a hormetic stress, meaning that it is a stress on the body, but as a result still has a beneficial effect that brings us back to homeostasis or brings us closer to normal functioning. They also theorize that an adapted cold shower or cold therapy can enhance mood because it also can activate certain brain regions and release norepinephrine. It was shown to, for example, increase noradrenaline levels in the locus ceruleus of the brain and the hippocampus. The local ceruleus is the center of the cerebral neurogenic pathway. And noradrenaline is one of the key excitatory neurotransmitters in the brain, along with serotonin, that is the target of many antidepressant drugs. So not only just whole body cryotherapy, but even just adapted cold showers. It is something you don't necessarily have to pay for, but you could just start adding to your routine today. Could potentially have, you know, beneficial impact on mood in those living with depression. I think a really interesting future direction would be to conduct a functional MRI study in patients living with depression or anxiety and to test the blood flow or brain activity of certain regions before and after several weeks of cryotherapy sessions. The functional MRI will tell us the blood flow or brain region activity, for example, of that stress circuit, the hypothalamic pituitary axis. And for example, we could hypothesize that in those living with depression, they have higher activity of this stress circuit. And then after cryotherapy, that activity is reduced. That would be a really interesting clinical trial that maybe will come up in the near future. And if it does, then you can bet that I will bring up those results to all of you. So that is a wrap, my People Scientist Army, for this week on the clinical evidence of cryotherapy. I would say that overall, these small studies do seem to support that regular cryotherapy can reduce oxidative stress and improve measures of antioxidant status in the blood. This may also lead to improvements in mood and improvements in inflammatory disorders such as rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, and depression. I find therapies that do not include medications to be fascinating, and honestly, they should be investigated far more often. If cryotherapy can help reduce symptoms of inflammatory disorders and mood disorders, then it may have the potential to help a tremendous amount of people and could potentially be added to current standard of care practices. Now, I will note that none of the studies reported adverse effects, so I'm not certain if there were any negative side effects associated with this treatment. But I would say, you know, just physiologically, it is possible that for people with heart conditions, that whole body cryotherapy may not be appropriate. So please do always talk to your physician before starting any new treatment regimen, including whole body cryotherapy. So that is it for today's episode. I hope you all have a fantastic and healthy week, and I look forward to meeting you all back here next week the same time and the same place on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. 
My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.